Hi, my name is Ben Armstrong. Hi, this is David Koch. My name is Thomas Maurer. Hi, I'm Donna Sarkari. Hi, my name is Lana Montgomery. Hi, I'm Seth Juarez. Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I'm Jess Dodson. Hi, I'm Rocky Heckman. Hi, I'm Sonia Cuff. Hi, I'm Troy Hunt. Hello, this is Wally Mead. My name is Reed Purvis. Hi, I'm Lars Kling. Hi, my name is Alan Birchall. Hi, I'm Adam Fowler. Hi, I'm Scott Guthrie, and you're listening to the Need to Know Podcast. All the latest Microsoft Cloud news, as well as industry guest deep dive conversations. It's a Need to Know Podcast. All thanks to the CIA Ops patron community. The Need to Know Podcast. Catch us on Twitter and Facebook, N2K Podcast, and online at ciaops.podbean.com. Welcome along to the Need to Know Podcast. This is episode 309. My name is Robert Crane, and thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Some shout-outs for my socials, director at CIA on the Twitters. Also, you can email me if you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast, director at ciaops.com. On the YouTubes as well, at director CIA there. Don't forget that I have an opportunity if you want to join my uh, Teams shared channel. You can either go to my blog post, uh, my blog and have a look for join my shared channel. I'll put a link in the show notes if you do want to uh, join up there. No cost to doing that. A little bit of setup on your side uh, just to make sure that the permissions are correct. Uh, send me an email, then I'll invite you. You can access all the information that I do post in that channel. Don't forget the CIOps merch store, always uh, there to make a statement at your next conference. And all of these sort of Resources are brought to you thanks to the CIA Ops Patron community at CIAOpsPatron.com. You can sign up to a subscription there and be kept up to date with the Microsoft Cloud on a daily basis and be part of a community of people who are looking to learn more about the Microsoft Cloud. Now, speaking of the Microsoft Cloud, as always, there are news updates and things happening there. So the first one I've got for you here is basically an article from Microsoft called Copilot in Teams, an August 2023 update. Now, we know that Copilot should be coming out shortly. Microsoft announced the pricing recently, 30 US dollars for that. Uh, one of the big benefits that I'm certainly looking forward to is seeing Copilot appear in Teams. Now, the reason for that is there's a huge amount of information that is now going into Teams in chats, conversations, files, um, all sorts of things in there. Having the capability to use AI across all that information, and again, just think of it like a knowledge base. So I look forward to the capability to be able to go into Copilot in Teams and ask it a question and you know tell me about this or who did this or what was the last response to this, and then having that uh, presented to me. So again, not yet available uh, generally. However, this um, article here will give you some idea as to the progress. It'll give you some updates. It'll give you a little bit of an idea of what's happening. Now, there is also a co-pilot with uh, Teams phone as well. Uh, again, very, very interesting concept there. So if we are using Teams phone, we can also integrate Teams um, Copilot in there. We're also going to have the uh, the chat stuff as well uh, managed or accessible with Copilot. So uh, I think that the idea here is to have a look at all the capabilities that Copilot's going to provide and then make a decision based on the value to the organization. But I certainly myself will be looking to get on board with it because I think it provides a huge productivity uh, benefit for myself especially. Now is it going to be a valid for 
every single person in the organization? Probably not. So what I advise people to think about is Copilot is probably going to be at least initially more aimed at people who are creators, so creating content. So think people who are creating financial reports or maybe marketing material and so on. Uh, eventually, yeah, maybe everybody gets Copilot, but initially I think you should aim it, think about it as for the creators in an organization. Now, the other one we've got here is that Microsoft has announced a 2023 Surface uh, event taking place uh, next month in New York. Okay, so typically around September, October timeframe, Microsoft does a Surface event uh, where it you know, unveils typically a range of uh, new devices. Uh, very interesting to see again in the uh, era of AI, what it does, the rumors are around them integrating an AI style chip into some of the new PCs they'll announce. Um, some questions around you know, things like the Surface Duo, will we see a version three potentially? Um, again, all obviously the new form factors for uh, the Microsoft Surface devices. So again, that's scheduled to take place on September 21 in New York. There'll be lots of information floating around on that when uh, all the devices and anything else is announced around that event. Another one I've got here is that Microsoft Defender data can now be hosted in Australia. If that is important to you, you're able to, uh, again, move the data across there and any new tenant will be able to select Australia as the destination uh, for the data from Defender. Now, to move the data across, there is a, a little bit of technical stuff to do here. The article that I'll link in the show notes is something you'll have to go and have a look at. From what I read quickly, it seems that if you do move your data, you are going to lose uh, the history there. So that may be uh, something that does prevent you moving down that path. But if you really do need your data uh, held in Australia for Defender, you can certainly do that uh, now. So again, consult that article, have a look and see if you do need to do anything there. Uh, Microsoft has also announced some frontline updates to Teams, Windows 365, Copilot and Dynamics Field Service. If you do or you have interest in any one of these, uh, please go and have a look. There's a video uh, around that. I think that you know the frontline stuff, especially in Windows 365, I think it has a lot of validity. Uh, it does make the use of the product, you know, uh, I suppose, much more viable for many customers. The ability to share licenses across multiple users with Windows 365, I think, is a very uh, good idea. Uh, there are obviously some caveats around it and some limitations, but. Of course, go in there, read the article, have a look at it. If those are relevant to you, uh, then you can take advantage of them. Another one here is uh, remote help for, for Android is coming soon to public preview. So remote help typically has been tied to Intune. Uh, we've seen that remote help for Windows, at least a basic version, certainly is available now as an add-on. It will be part of the Intune suite. So the understanding is that, you know, eventually that remote help will be available for iOS, Android, uh, Mac, PC, Linux, and basically everything down the track. So my advice to you would be is to have a look at this article. Um, and when it comes into public preview, normally you get a you know a free trial period, or it doesn't cost you anything when it is in preview. So that's the time to jump in, have a look at it, evaluate it, see how it works in your environment. I'll certainly be doing that myself as soon as it becomes available. But the article's in here, 
and it'll show you that the remote help supports RBAC, it supports unattended access. I think that's pretty powerful on uh, Android devices. Uh, a bit of the setup and minimizing the risk and also doing some reporting in there. So again, keep across that. We hopefully will see that relatively uh, shortly. Uh, the article here says that it will be in preview this month. Um, obviously, that's in August, August 2023. So again, not far away. So keep your eyes out uh, on that. Hopefully, as soon as it becomes available, um, I'll have a play with it and I'll let you know uh, exactly what it's like, what it can do. But it looks as though it certainly will be a worthwhile investment for those people that need to manage Android uh, fleets. There's also the Day Zero support here for Android 14 with Intune. So um, Google's Android 14 um, is becoming available across devices. That is now uh, immediately supported uh, by Intune. So if you do have an Android fleet, you will be able to take uh, advantage of the Android 14 updates through your normal uh, Intune capabilities there. So an indication also too that, um, especially with Android, Microsoft certainly is, you know, keeping very much up to date with that as the features come out for operating system it's ready to go with Intune so that's a good indication that you know it's getting on top of all these sort of changes and making them ready as uh, soon as possible so I think that's the other uh, really good indicator there now the link to all of these will be in the show notes so you can go in and uh, review each one of these for yourself now, one of the ones I always recommend people, this is uh, generally a podcast called The Intrazone from Microsoft. The good thing is, is they make or they release a companion blog post called the SharePoint Roadmap Pit Stop. Pit Stop. There's one here for uh, July. So go in, have a look at that. There's a couple of new updates. There's a new site creation uh, experience. There's also you know something called Viva Pulse. Uh, there's also some updates with Viva Connections, so uh, all of that is available as well. Uh, we've also got probably a big change for most people when it comes to SharePoint and, and those sort of sharing technology is the simplified sharing screen. So <clears throat> Microsoft has moved or has simplified when users shared file the dialogue that is there. Now, um, I must admit that I'm more a fan of the older approach. That's typically the way that I've, I've worked when I do want to share things, I want to limit who I share to. Um, that is now, I suppose, behind a cog or another button I need to press. Uh, but I do see the logic behind this, make it easier for users to share files. There are some changes there. I've written a few blog posts uh, about you know, those changes, the implications there, because there are some changes around what's done in the back end, especially with Azure B2B users. So again, go and have a look at that. There's also some updates to the lists, um, you know, uh, look and feel there. It's got some nice capabilities like the ability to drag and drop images into lists uh, as, as indicated in the blog post here. We've got some updates to streams, uh, to stream stuff, and that's really good. Uh, obviously, it re reinforces the fact that uh, Azure AD is now Enter ID. Um, the other call out here is if you are using Twitter web parts, and I've, uh, I suppose, fallen into this with the uh, Twitter connection API that was used with Power Automate, that is now basically a non-starter anymore thanks to some of the changes Twitter made to its uh, API. So we can't use that. That has ramifications into any SharePoint uh, web parts that use Twitter uh, as well. And again, the article also has a quick summary of updates uh, from Inspire. So, you know, backup and archive, Bing chat, 
uh, business chat, um, you know, co-pilot pricing, AI, and so on. So yeah, this is a good summary article of everything that's been going on in the SharePoint, OneDrive, um, Teams to an extent space over you know the past month so you can listen to the podcast but always like to read the blog post article and click on the link so i can go in and actually examine it in more detail microsoft has also got a post here about viewing and editing shape data in visio for the web so visio for the web is a bit of a service that a lot of people have overlooked or probably don't realize they have it available to them uh, so the idea here is that you can go in and edit uh, these parts in the web if you don't have a Visio license, there obviously are some limitations, but from what I understand is at a minimum, you can certainly view Visio diagrams directly in the web without needing uh, a license. So that gives you that uh, capability. So this is one of these examples of where perhaps you only need a single license for the person who is creating the Visio diagrams, and then they can share that back into you know teams and sharepoint and others can take advantage of it uh, and using the inbuilt viewer for visio so again don't overlook that fact if you haven't seen it go in have a play with it uh, have a look at it if you are keen on using uh, visio in your environment now conditional access for protected actions is also now uh, generally available article in here the idea here is that it can go in and you know basically add additional capability to you know our conditional access. So, as I've talked to many people uh, about conditional access, I think this is probably the most important uh, security service in the Microsoft stack after something like uh, MFA. So this comes with uh, conditional access comes with Entra ID P1 or with obviously Microsoft 365 Business Premium. I suppose the simplest way to think about this is, you know, an advanced uh, firewall for the cloud that's going to allow you to do, you know, geo-blocking and all this. Uh, it's also going to allow the integration of, you know, FIDO keys, phishing resistant MFA. Um, yeah, there's a whole range of capabilities. So really, if you're looking to step up security, you know, from the next level beyond MFA, I'd certainly be looking at conditional access, going deep on that. And, you know, the good thing is, is Microsoft have added a number of templates for you as well. There's a number of stock standard templates you can pick to at least get started. Then you can go in and customize it uh, for yourself. So we're seeing more and more integrations with conditional access. Another important thing to remember is things like Intune and its ability to uh, report on uh, whether a device is compliant or not can be integrated into conditional access. So you can prevent devices that aren't compliant from connecting to corporate data with conditional access. You can also integrate it with Defender for Cloud Apps, DLP, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so again, really, really powerful product. And again, this article indicates that they're adding more and more features over time. Now, the last link that I'll put in the show notes is a video here around intro to AI for SMBs. Now, I think what we see out there in the market generally, and especially more so in SMB, is confusion around, you know, what is AI? There's a lot of talk about it. Um, you know, it's going to replace my job or it's going to, you know, um, create greater competition for me. Unfortunately, what we see in today's environment is a lot around the hype cycle um, to obviously get clicks and to get people looking at stuff. I think that it's important to firstly note that yes, AI will be a benefit for every business. Every business should be paying attention and really needs to spend some time investigating it and 
using it for themselves. So obviously ChatGPT is the easy way to get started today. Uh, have a look, understand what it is. But we've got Copilot coming for Microsoft 365 shortly and also things like Copilot for security, which I think will be enormous. Uh, so this article gives a nice summary, helps people understand what's going on. Um, and it can certainly be used to benefit a business. Is it the be all and end all at this point in time? Probably not, but it's the starting point. So if we look back in you know previous technology waves, things like the move to the internet or the move to the cloud, the move to integrated servers, uh, they've taken a while obviously to spin up. They've been very, very important, but on day one, it is never, you know, never delivers what it promises. But you certainly need to hang in there. So I think that uh, video is a really good uh, starting point to get some basic overview for anybody of the AI benefits and what it means uh, inside uh, SMB. So all the links to these will be in the show notes. So you can go off and have a look, review those. And again, uh, would love to hear any thoughts, comments uh, that you have on those with uh, by just reaching out to me on the socials or again, uh, sending me an email directly at ciaops.com. If you find an interesting article likewise or you know something that I think that you think will be worthwhile mentioning to others, uh, here, please, again, just send that to me via the different uh, mechanisms that are available. So what I wanted to talk about in you know, the editorial here is uh, around incident response. Now, the reason that I want to focus on this is what I find is that when I speak to a lot of IT professionals, they are obviously very concerned about security and you know wanting to implement security for their customers, but a large component that I think they're missing is, you know, what to do when an incident occurs. So this is this again, this this concept of assume breach. So a lot of them are very focused on the defensive side of the game. You know, I have to put a firewall in, I have to put up conditional access, I have to do MFA, complex passwords. That's all largely a defensive approach. And you need that, there's no question. However, uh, the reality is is that if you don't know what a breach uh, is and you don't know or test your processes when a breach or an incident occurs, uh, it's going to make it uh, very, very stressful and there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of wasted time that uh, could be avoided if you do practice you know, what would happen in the event of a breach. And this is the concept of an incident response. So... What you want to do is you want to basically have a checklist of items to go through. So, okay, well, this has happened. This is what I need to do. And the benefit is with doing something like a checklist is one, it allows you to follow through and know what to do step by step you know, when an incident does occur. So you're not panicking, you're not missing items and sequences. You can also share that list with others in your organization so that they can work through that list if you're not available or you need to outsource part of that to someone else. So having a checklist, you know, as we all know, in many aspects is something that is you know, very, very simple, but a lot of people do have a look. And I think it's very, very important to have you know, a solid checklist that is regularly updated, regularly checked for when an incident occurs. Now, when an incident does occur, I think that the idea here is to you know look at okay what information am I going to need so when an incident does occur the first thing is going to be some sort of you know reconnaissance right so 
what logs do I need? What information am I looking for? Is it going to be in the unified audit logs? Is it going to be Azure AD sign-in logs? Is it uh, something to do with Exchange? Is it something to do with SharePoint? Uh, you know, where do I need to get the information? So having a list of items, say, right, go and check this log, check this URL, uh, copy this, look for this, look for that, uh, is going to make that a lot easier prior to you actually needing it. And I think the idea here is also not to just think of, you know, where is the information, but also think about who do I need to notify? So if there is a breach, do I, I need to notify, you know, the management, the CEO? And what about external third parties? Do I need to notify an insurance company? Because if the customer has an insurance policy around cyber security insurance, you might find that inside that policy is a requirement that the insurer be notified. And this, you can see when you have a, you know, a traffic accident, you have to notify the insurer uh, and they then take some of the load and they then may use their own processes. They may want to run their own investigation. If they aren't notified duly, then there may be the case that insurance is not valid. So Having all that worked out beforehand, having the phone numbers, the email addresses, the parties, the interested parties that you know need to be notified is super important as well. So having that prior, putting it in this incident response, I think is really, really uh, important. Also, when we're talking about the logs, it's an important thing to consider, okay, how long are the details in the logs maintained for? So if you have a basic version of Microsoft 365, those logs may only be retained in the system for seven days. Now this can be extended with additional licensing, but this is where something like Sentinel uh, would come in that would allow you to basically log ship into a product like Sentinel, which will give you typically 90 days of log retention across all the data that's ingested. So we see different logging periods with you know, the unified audit log versus Azure AD, sign-in logs, and so on. So having a single repository where all the logs are for a known period of time is a very handy thing because you may need to do, go and do an investigation over an extended period of time. The other thing with Sentinel is you can extend beyond the included 90 days to whatever period of time, 180, 365 days, uh, if you wish, quite easily and quite cheaply using that. So. Again, the idea here is to think about all those logs, where are they? Uh, but putting them or shipping them into one location is going to save time, effort, and make it much easier to focus on the information. Remember that part of this is that the information that you capture you know, is going to be, well, what do we need? Who needs to see it? Uh, what are we actually going in here and looking for? So. It's very easy to end up going down a rabbit hole on a false lead when you do do uh, incident response. So you think, oh, maybe this looks suspect, and then unfortunately you tend to then reinforce the positive and you then you know, follow a false lead and you've wasted that time. So I think an incident response process is also going to have the capability for you to basically have um, circuit breakers in there. So an example would be, you would say, okay, after two hours of, or every two hours upon investigation, we need to step back and we need to involve you know, another party and give them a summary. Now, whether that's the customer, whether that's management, whether that's other technical people, I think that's a good idea because it's always very handy to get external eyes on 
the decisions on the thought process and they may be able to point out something that hasn't been considered or question why this approach was taken. Rolling that into an incident response where this is done on a regular basis as part of a process makes that much easier. So we set the clock, two hours in, we need to update the customer and we also need to give management of the people investigating the incident a summary of what's going on and then they can make their comments and determine whether to continue with the investigation. Now, the incident response, generally you're going to be creating that prior to the event. Hopefully you never have an incident that requires this, but I would suggest like any fire drill, so if you are in any large building these days, that have multiple people, you will need to go through some sort of fire drill. There'll be a fire, a regular fire drill to ensure that if there is an emergency, people know where to go, uh, the people with responsibility know what they need to do, where the equipment is, what the process is. I think exactly the same thinking should apply here when it comes to a cybersecurity incident. You need to test this you know, process, you need to simulate this, you need to say, right, let's imagine today that this has happened, let's put into action the process that we've developed, let's work all the way through it, and we don't have to do it, you know, under duress because we're just going through a testing process. We can then take our time and look at it and evaluate it and improve it. Okay, well, we should have done that and maybe that's a better option and we should do this before that uh, and do we miss something here? So a process is only as good um, as the last time it was run through. So my advice would be is to think about like a normal you know, real-world fire drill, we need to look at doing our incident responses on a regular uh, period or at least reviewing them on a regular basis to see whether there is any way that we can be improve these. Now once you have a process, you know, a checklist, the other big benefit you've got is that then lends itself to automation. So when you look at your checklist that you've created manually, you can go in and step back and say, you know what, we could automate these three steps with a script so it goes out and grabs the information from the logs and then dumps that to something like a CSV file. We can then use that offline. We've got that information separated. We can do better analysis, better searching, better filtering on that sort of data once it's in that format. So that's the other benefit of creating this process. You can then look at it. So you know what? We can automate this. We can also then determine who's responsible for what, allocate that and put that into our process for follow-ups and, you know, determine the best way to communicate information from various sources where it will provide uh, the biggest benefit for people. So we won't really get a feel for that until we create an incident response plan. And secondly, we need to enact, uh, practice our incident response plan on a regular basis as well. Like any emergency plan, we need to go in there and practice it. Now, the good thing in the Microsoft 365 space is a lot of that information, the location of logs and the services, will be in a consistent location, will be in the same location for each tenant. So a big advantage here of creating a Microsoft 365 incident response plan is a lot of that will apply to every tenant that you may look after or may be involved with. So that's going to make it much easier. 
As I mentioned, I think the important thing here is to point out is that what I've seen out there in the field, there aren't many people who are responsible for Microsoft 365 environments that actually do have an incident response plan. So when an incident does happen, then you know it becomes panicky, mistakes are made, things are overlooked, time is not well allocated. So in essence, the idea here is to take the NOAA principle about let's prepare before it actually starts raining. Let's build the ark before it starts raining. And that's really the message here is that if you are responsible for a tenant, if you are responsible for security for that tenant, it's great that you're locking it down, securing it, defending it, but you should also, best practice would indicate you need to assume breach. Right, so yes, you've done your best job, but if something does happen, what's going to be the response? Because that really is going to determine the outcome for you. You've done all the defense for Horn, that's great, but if those are circumvented and the attack can get in and then run amok um, and can't be dealt with in an appropriate period, that's really going to cause the most damage here. So the idea is to avoid that is to develop an incident response plan you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to see? Where do I need to go? What information do I have? Who do I have to tell? Put that into a checklist, run through that on a regular basis, and then look at automating that response as much as you can to make your life much easier. And I think that's quite straightforward and easy to do. There are lots of resources out there. So obviously, Microsoft is the place to start for, you know, what's an appropriate incident response for Microsoft 365. But you know, other government entities um, are providing generic incident response plans that you can leverage as well. So you don't have to start from scratch. You can take an existing plan, modify it, enhance it. But the secret to a successful incident response plan is one that is constantly reviewed, improved, updated, uh, and enhanced, and ultimately automated as much as possible. So hopefully there, that's some thoughts for you around an incident response plan. If you haven't got one, I think it's time to sit down and design one, add one. Even a basic one is going to help you, uh, firstly, you know, think about the processes, understand what's there, know the locations to go. So it is definitely a worthwhile exercise. And the benefit is if you do it more for one tenant, you've done it for all the tenants that you may uh, end up looking after. So. If you do have any questions, thoughts, or responses uh, to this, please, by all means, reach out. You can do that, as I said, on the Twitter, at DirectorCIA. Feel free to send me an email, director at CIAops.com. I'll once again take this opportunity to thank you very much to uh, for listening to this episode of the Need to Know podcast. And please let others know uh, about the information that I do share uh, because getting it out there will generally improve uh, a lot of customers who are effectively the people who are using or paying uh, for the services here from Microsoft. So again, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode. And I look forward to seeing you in the next one. You have been listening to the Need to Know podcast from CIA Ops. For training on using technologies like SharePoint Online or Microsoft 365, visit www.ciaopsacademy.com. By purchasing from the selections available, you'll be directly supporting this podcast. To provide feedback on this episode, visit www.ciaops.com contact.